0: Greetings, weary traveler, and welcome back to The Plunge. Folks, it's our last show before our vacation. While we will enjoy LA, Dan and I will be pining for the sunny shores of Bayview, Michigan, the Christians-only town that is the center of a lawsuit against its policy of only allowing pastor-approved Gentiles to buy or inherit houses. What's worse is that milk-toast conservative hack Andrew Sullivan is writing again, and he's writing about young people. We will take in his latest terrible take before we get into Trump's contempt for opioid addicts, the second government shutdown, and the impending military parade coming soon to the streets of Washington, D.C. In the pop culture corner, we will be sharing our favorite clips from this week's epic interview that Quincy Jones recently gave, in which he dissed the Beatles, dished on his relationship with Ivanka Trump, and told us which software executive can really shred. We're also going to talk about why we liked The Cloverfield Paradox, the universally panned space thriller and sequel to 2008's Cloverfield and 2016's 10 Cloverfield Lane. For story time, we will discuss our continued failure to use Airbnb, the app which has disrupted entire communities, and more importantly, Dan and my vacation. We will bring up some of our past experiences with the app and evaluate its efforts to capitalize on our cohabitating with strangers. It's all that and more, folks. And remember, when life comes at you fast, choose the plunge.
1: Take a sip of the plunge, of the raw materials that we're providing you, and hopefully you... I don't know. What's the point of our show, Sam? To
0: achieve nirvana. (laughs) Well, make all your dreams come true. By what means? When you achieve the clarity that the plunge provides where we so clearly describe who is dumb in politics and mistaken, then you leave listening to the plunge. Finally, you understand, and you just you go about your day like a changed person.
1: Well, <laughs> I think that a great place to start this week is... A story that I discovered in The Guardian. A town that I'm sure everyone there listens to the show. It's... <laughs> uh, well, here's the headline. The Michigan town where only Christians are allowed to buy houses. Sam, would you try to infiltrate the Goyam community?
0: No, absolutely not. I would be so vaguely terrified of that kind of existence they would smell the jew on me or they might smell the agnostic as well uh it's not easy for me to feign commitment to religion so they would definitely sniff me out i would be a very bad mole in that situation
1: tucked away in michigan's lower peninsula somewhere along the winding roads that hug great lake shores is an idyllic town named bayview For more than a century, generations of Bay viewers have congregated here to share summer activities. What started out as a modest camping ground for Methodist families 140 years ago has quietly developed into a stunning vacation spot for people who can afford the upkeep of a second home. But this paradise is not open to all. In Bayview, (laughs) only practicing Christians are allowed to buy houses or even inherit them. Prospective homeowners, according to a bylaw introduced in 1947, strengthened in 1986, are required to produce evidence of their faith by providing, among other things, a letter from a Christian minister testifying to their active participation in a church. Sam you will now provide me evidence of your faith or you will be kicked off this podcast.
0: That sounds like some Eric Garland shit. You know, the, I demand that you tell me your values now. Like a loyalty pledge? <laughs> yeah, it definitely gives me that vibe. I feel like there are certain examples where of this where it seems to so clearly violate the establishment clause of the Bill of Rights saying that you should not implement a state religion I mean I I don't know how much more of a state religion you have if you're only allowing one religion to buy property which I think is a fundamental American right as far as our constitution I don't think that I'm really getting too deep into any constitutional law theory here I feel like this is all pretty easy to see even though obviously the case law has probably gotten more complex over time
1: there is a lawsuit claiming that the Christian litmus test is illegal and unconstitutional, made by a dozen current and former residents. So, uh, so this is, I guess under the umbrella of a religious exemption.
0: Yes, and I think it also is due to their history. Um, they were like a a Methodist community. They're one of the few remaining Chautauquas, which are Methodist communities that were established in the late 19th century. It's a national register. It's on the National Register of Historic Places. But if it's going to be a modern town or a functioning economy where people – I mean, the primary way that people can, I guess, accumulate and then pass down wealth is through home ownership. If you can't even inherit your parents' house if you don't go to the church – it seems creepy. It also seems a bit like of a racket for the church. I know that it's kind of problematic sometimes
1: to, right. to say that Christian churches are... I mean, know, they're a fucking racket. We don't have to like mince I mean, words yeah, about they, that. There's no reason why they should be tax-exempt. So, yeah, they
0: have like a tax-exempt racket determining, basically, who is allowed to have a home in their area, which I, I don't see how that can stand up.
1: This Guardian story also, I mean... T- to your point, details a uh, story about Jeremy Schaefer, a fifth-generation Bayview resident. Who, uh, in his will, he can't leave his property to his Jewish wife.
0: It's so crazy. It actually reminds me, because um, my my dad is Gentile and from Iowa, you know, the Midwest. And he said, growing up, the worst because he was raised very kind of Protestant, you know, Anglican church, and he said the worst thing that he could tell his mom would be that he was marrying a catholic because the idea of marrying a jew which is what he eventually did was just so out of the question it was like why what what, don't joke like that you don't marry jews it's like saying you're gonna marry a toaster or something it's just complete poppycock
1: exactly and these are the the ideas that this community was formed upon early Bayview documents dating up until the beginning of the 20th century show that although the resort community has always had a Christian mission, the original membership requirements were being over 21 and of good moral character, but this Christian exclusionary component was introduced in the 1940s which we all know was a heightened, (laughs) you know, there was a lot of tension going on with the Jews in America during the Holocaust. uh, And there was also a lot of racial anxiety, denial of Jewish refugees uh, seeking asylum from Europe, which apparently uh, the article says, and that was an act supported by a majority of the American public. This story, uh, I just thought it was kind of interesting because we're seeing something that, just clearly has such like racist prejudicial roots continue to be justified in like 2018 is just so absurd yeah
0: mike steinberg the legal director of the american civil liberties union in michigan said that the lawsuit is an open and shut case so i'm not just like flapping my gums and bastardizing constitutional law here like it's pretty fucking obvious that this is against founding ideal of our country as corny as it is to bring that up
1: and let's end with a quote by a guy who's literally named Dick Crossland, a retired oh, yes. consultant. <laughs> yeah, of course, that's his name. <laughs> Dick Crossland says, It's always been someplace apart, and that's the core foundation. There are a lot of other places where if you want a more secular resort, a place that looks more like the United Nations, then God bless you if you want to go. <sighs> All right, dude.
0: (laughs) I'm not going there anytime soon. If they want to keep all the Jews out, then uh, they can register that this Jew is probably not going to set foot in Bayview, Michigan. It sounds cold, and I don't fuck around with resort towns that are on cold, icy Midwestern lakes. I go to the damn Caribbean like a normal Jew.
1: What do you think about this headline, Sam, from Andrew Sullivan in New York Magazine? We all live on campus now. What is that? What does that make you think?
0: Well, as soon as you said Andrew Sh- Sullivan, I fucking rolled my eyes. This seems like a period piece.
1: It's very, like, 2014, 2015. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely the the peak of, like, I guess, campus wokeness and the fucking white liberal slash conservative horror at, you know, something a little more genuinely populist. <laughs>
1: So Sullivan basically is arguing that campus PC culture in 2018 has invaded the mainstream society to the point where we're all living on college campuses. I mean, you read through this and it's bizarre because you're like, how much time have you spent on a college campus? Where is this coming from other than like pure anecdotal evidence?
0: It really is just purely anecdotal. It has a lot of the buzzwords that you see, like, these uh, moral panic writers using, like, (laughs) neo-Marxist and,
1: what, cultural Marxist is in here, too. The reason I don't agree with this is because I believe ideas matter.
2: Yeah. What does that
1: even fucking mean? That is just such a straw man, like, fucking bullshit. Like, shut up.
0: Yeah, and he's... Exactly, you're right to pull up the strongman issue because a straw man trope, because he's not even talking about an individual campus. He's not talking about any individual protest, any individual people. He's just, he's literally just using words and ideas like he kind of said earlier he uses words like white supremacy or rape culture or white privilege. He's like, this seems like more of a rhetorical flourish. It's just nonsense. Like, why did you fucking, why do you have to write this now? Why were you paid to do this? Get the fuck out.
1: <laughs> right. it seems to be a uh, somewhat of a rebuke of me too. Yeah. I, it just, it just is such an evidence of like, the real dismissal of not just um, millennials, but the current reckoning in our culture. Like, if that's your problem with what's going on in our culture now, in terms of like a reckoning, then like, uh, I think you're just missing the point.
0: I think you're right. I think what I get out of this sort of writing is that these kinds of stable upper middle-class writers are honestly offended that people would take the time to make the world any better you get it from more sincere liberals who i guess feel like they have tried their whole lives to change the world and it didn't change instantly so they got discouraged and took some stupid job at the new york times and are writing you know columns about nothing for the rest of their lives and they need to justify to themselves why they are stuck in this tawdry position instead of being the kind of people who actually change the world, being the people who like believe that the world can be a good place. So now that they are old and they look at young you know, campus activists or young activists in the Me Too movement or any of these other social movements that have been popping up, then they think, "Oh, how dare you, you naive fool! I tried to make the world a better place and I failed. So how could you do any better?" It's it's just laziness and get off my lawn writing. It's bullshit.
1: Speaking of utter contempt, we're gonna talk a little bit about another New York Mag article, but this one I actually liked uh, about how Trump is given victims of opioids. Nothing but contempt. We all know how big the opioid crisis is in this country. If you don't know someone affected, I think you will at some point in the next few years. It's not going away. It's um, something that is obviously one of the biggest public health issues of our time. And okay, let's just let's start with the, the State of the Union. Trump did not offer a single concrete policy proposal for combating the opioid epidemic. Instead, he promised to get... Much tougher on drug dealers and pushers. Right. And he he gets these uh, delirious uh, talking points written for him about chain migration. And it all ends up becoming this like nationalist sort of rant and then he had that sort of Hallmarky police officer who adopted the pregnant homeless woman's baby when she was uh, a heroin addict
2: in the story of the Holetz family of New Mexico Ryan Holetz is 27 years old an officer with the Albuquerque Police Department He's here tonight with his wife Rebecca Last year, Ryan was on duty when he saw a pregnant homeless woman preparing to inject heroin. When Ryan told her she was going to harm her unborn child, she began to weep. She told him she didn't know where to turn, but badly wanted a safe home for her baby. In that moment, Ryan said he felt God speak to him. You will do it. Because you can. He heard those words. He took out a picture of his wife and their four kids. Then he went home to tell his wife, Rebecca. In an instant, she agreed to adopt. The Hollettes named their new daughter, Hope. Ryan and Rebecca, you embody the goodness of our nation. Thank you.
1: Right. What did you make of all that, Sam?
0: I think it's a really good example of how, with this opioid panic, which is a rightful panic, the year that Trump was elected president, drug overdoses killed 63,600 Americans in a single year. That's a 21% increase from the previous year, which had also been the worst year for such... It's a really fucking brutal, widespread, lethal problem. I think that even... People we went to high school have died of drug overdoses in the. I could think of
1: more than one.
0: Yeah, a bunch. I mean, and we're not even from the most depressed areas where, like, people are losing, you know, a a significant percentage of people. People have access to
1: treatment and uh, also, unfortunately, easy access to heroin. It's
0: also a manufactured problem. There was an expose that went out about the family that basically profited the most off of OxyContin in the 2000s.
3: Yeah, well, uh, the Sackler family is very interesting because in some ways it's extremely public and then in other ways it's extremely private. So uh, you'll see their name uh, on, on university campuses. Almost every Ivy League school has an institute or a museum named for the Sacklers. As you mentioned, they're there's— Oh, like at Yale, at Tufts, at Columbia, at NYU, at Cornell, at King's College London, at Edinburgh, at Uh, Sussex—I mean, the list really goes on and on and Uh, and, on—and in the museum world, too. I mean, there's named rooms or wings for the Sacklers at the Guggenheim, at the Louvre, at the Tate, at the the Met. Um, You know, so people know the Sackler name. But the Sacklers themselves are rarely interviewed. They basically never give interviews. They're rarely seen in public. And almost nobody in the world—in the art world or in the world of higher education understands that the major source of their fortune is Oxycontin. And one reason for that is that the Sacklers never put their name on their company and never put their name on their product.
0: The Kind of, I guess, prescription opiates and using, getting those to be the most commonly ma- used, like prescribed pain medications— then getting those people addicted to those pills once they run out of their prescription the only thing that really scratches the itch without costing a shitload of money is literally heroin and i guess when it comes down to it it's a systemic issue that has a real fucking cause that you can point to but because liberalism and by the same token the fucking far-right conservative bullshit that trump pushes are both of them are wholly unsuited to dealing with that task And that's why you see Trump bringing in these stupid anecdotes about, like, this police officer. It's it's nothing but a sob story for him.
1: It's always this bootstraps thing. It's always this, like... Individuals
0: taking responsibility will fucking mitigate this systemic onslaught on the american people from just right. fucking drugs and un- unscrupulous people who are handing them to them
1: the drug overdose crisis i'm gonna just read directly from this article is concentrated in white rural america aka trump country and on the campaign trail the gop nominee pledged to make ending the drug crisis a top priority of his administration which was like admirable that was like anyone could fucking agree with the messages that e- even with if fucking Trump right. said it all right and help end this problem Anyone can agree with the
0: message, but the Republicans aren't going to put through substantive policy. They're not going to like set up places for people to shoot up safely. They're not going to fund the healthcare and the rehab these people need. See, no,
1: oh, no, oh, no. Not fund it. It's it's it, it goes way beyond that, but since taking office, he has put far more effort into promoting policies that would exacerbate yeah. the epidemic than into the ones that would mitigate it. Trump has tried to pass trillion-dollar cuts to Medicaid, one of the top sources of funding for addiction treatment in the U.S., called for reducing spending on preventative anti-drug measures, proposed slashing the budget for the Office of National Drug Council policy by 95%, neglected to nominate anyone to lead the DEA, declined to implement the vast majority of his own opioid commission's recommendations, declared the opioid crisis a public health emergency, but refused to ask for a single penny in additional funding to combat the crisis. Even as he called on Congress to add $1.5 trillion to the deficit for the sake of cutting taxes for the rich. Yeah. And he put Kellyanne fucking Conway, a career pollster and TV pundit with no experience in public health in charge of his administration's opioid agenda. So he doesn't give a fuck about these people.
0: The polls say that a shitload of people are dying from heroin. Back to you, Mr. Trump.
1: I mean, I just gave you an onslaught of information there, but these are all awful examples of the negligence that's been displayed from these people in this area. Even though this was probably one of the things that got a lot of these white rural folks who were affected by this to vote for him.
0: Sure, sure. I mean, he frequently was kind of extending an olive branch to the poor members of his coalition.
1: His own brother died of alcohol addiction, so he even had the, like, pathos of someone who'd been affected by it himself.
0: Yeah, having said that, I don't want to veer too far into the realm of trying to evaluate Trump's policy as the work of a serious politician or political no, because like, sure. Trump hasn't done a lot substantial to mitigate the opioid threat. And sure he hasn't appointed certain people to certain jobs, but he's done that across the board. And I think this is a good teachable moment for us on the podcast. Cause we care so much about substantive politics and actually getting shit done that this is a perfect, like microcosm of what we're talking about. Like for Trump, it is very good political capital to go out there and say, I'm against the opioid crisis and I'm going to you know, mitigate it and I'm going to knock heads and all that bullshit. But when it comes down to it, it's just a talking point. And it's not that far off from what like Democrats do about maybe something like healthcare, where they say, Oh, I'm for everyone having healthcare. I don't think it's good that people don't have healthcare. But I don't support single payer. I don't support any of these other measures that m- make it materially possible for to actually combat the fucking issue that I've been, you know, getting political capital off of and talking about. So it's a very useful moment.
1: They said in 2015, and also the epidemic cost the American economy $504 billion. Oh my God. Which is not something on this show that we really give a fuck about, but it, that is something that probably some fucking Republican asshole cares about.
0: And also, you should be, if you're spending $500 billion on something, you should be getting a result. But the last thing I want to pull out of this fucking article is that one. One of the people working on Trump's public education campaign to, co- to combat the opioid crisis is Andrew Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani's 32-year-old son, who is a White House <laughs> public liaison and has no background in drug policy. You fucking oh, boy. Oh, Giuliani. Boy. <laughs> Not, you, the endless persistence of Giuliani's is one of the worst aspects of our current political
1: situation. <laughs> i was once hanging outside my office which is across the street from fox news and giuliani walked right past me and then i was like wait a minute and i shouted giuliani and he turned around and said yeah and kept walking he's probably going on hannity or something this was in 2016 before uh the election before all the fucking shit went to the fan i should have uh like wiretapped him (laughs)
0: Are you, is that something you get up to a lot on like your lunch break?
1: Yeah, see, uh, when you work in audio, uh, you have access to only the finest uh, wiretapping. Uh,
0: I'll be right back then. I just want to make sure my walls don't have any bugs in them that you may have left. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, let's let's get on to some lighter news. Let's get on to frequent topic and friend of the show. Hopefully my neighbor somewhere around here, Sebastian Gorka.
1: He is a gun-toting, red-blooded Hungarian. Uh, English-Hungarian-American. An, an arrest warrant out for him. In Hungary. He is a fucking fox news contributor which still just is so funny well let's
0: clarify that he he has an arrest warrant but it's the liberals who are after him because he has too many guns and i I think it really is like a illegal firearm charge so it's just the fucking you know these namby pamby libs can't get enough of taking guns away from red-blooded men or whatever
1: (laughs) but uh gorka was paid $40,000 last year by a political group funded by right-wing conspiracy theorists (laughs) uh, called the Threat Knowledge Group in monthly installments of $20,000 to advise the group uh, after he was let go from his White House position. Their uh, Pizzagate-pushing, Seth Rich murder-conspiracy-pushing group and they are tied to Sebastian Gorkin now.
0: Yeah. Hey, man, you got to get your money somewhere. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's the American way. Just he's, he's just doing what he has to do to, um, you know, ascend.
0: You got to cash in. But uh, it's funny too, because uh, I think Gorka is now working with the Rebel, which is like this Canadian far-right news network. It's a bunch of, like – because C- Canada's politics are close to as shitty as our right-wing horror show. But a lot of the people who work on The, new, the Rebel are also from Australia, which is really right-wing. Australia is the worst fucking country for my politics because I believe in compulsory voting. But Australia has compulsory voting, and their politics are just a right-wing horror show based, that's, like, controlled entirely well, by the they have compulsory industry.
1: voting, and they – I mean, it's a conservative country. Yeah. They have compulsory. Is it voting. The idea of the whole idea of the left. Is if full? We had full participation. Like more people a- agree with like left ideas.
0: Yeah. I mean, granted Australia is different, has a different political culture than the U S but it is a discouraging example as we try to figure out how to end this right wing horror show. But specifically one of the guys on rebel media, that crazy far right, Canadian media group that Sebastian Gorka writes for is this guy, Ezra Levant. And he got into the most hilarious beef with the Chiquita Banana Company. Um, (laughs) um, He said that Levant violated the CSBC, the CBSC is a Canadian broadcast standard councils code of ethics by telling the fucking, Chiquita Brands International Representative, um, Manuel Rodriguez, Chinga tu Madre, which means fuck your mother in, like, Mexican Spanish. Nice. (laughs) This is the most random, weirdest beef. I I don't understand where these fucking... I don't know. Dan, I do think that we would get a lot more hits and be a lot more successful if we were a right-wing podcast, so I'm floating the idea now, but...
1: Yeah, for some reason, there is this right-wing dominance of media, uh, in radio, with Rush Limbaugh and the failure of, like, Air America and, you know, conservative talk radio, like, owns this country.
2: You know what it's like to go to sleep every night knowing you work for a bunch of psychotic killers and you bastards are probably gonna end up killing me one day? You know what it's like knowing you've ruined my life? You know what it's like, you sons of bitches? I'm tired of your crap! You commit evil, you're part of an evil system, and we're standing up against you. And the republic is going to defeat you in the end. Some of us won't make it personally through this, but a lot of us are. And in the end, you are going to be brought to justice for all the kids you've kidnapped for CPS, all you CPS workers, all you corrupt bureaucrats, all you that have had your way with innocent children over and over again, who think your evil's invincible. You're not invincible, and God is going to deal with you. And you are cursed to hell.
0: Yeah, no, I I think it's because left positions are soft and nuanced and yielding, which I think we know is a better, you know, in a doubted Qing way, I guess, is like a better way to be in the world is to not try to be an immovable object, but to try to kind of go with the flow and, you know, respond realistically. Whereas the right wing in media is like, get in that country, take their oil, take their women come back we rule fuck everyone it's a lot more like appealing not to mention to like we love
1: jesus
0: yeah yeah it's a lot more appealing as a soundbite i think that's kind of where it comes down to it i think it's changing and we're seeing more people who are able to articulate good left politics in a way that is appealing in a soundbite or in like in media for people but in general the right wing is just a lot easier to get through because it's a lot stupider
1: I half paid attention to this. There was, like, a shutdown for, like, an hour this yeah, for like week. Yeah, like, eight hours. All right, so you, you seem to believe, Sam, that this illuminates us on what the Democrats' real goal, or at least, like, how they perceive their own political capital here.
0: Yeah, so I'll do a very quick play-by-play on this little shutdown that happened this week. Chuck Schumer came out. I think on Wednesday with a fucking – I have struck a deal with Mitch McConnell in which I am guaranteed one handshake in exchange for giving the Pentagon $160 billion through 2019. One of these bullshit deals. DACA, again, not tied to the spending deal because the Democrats just don't care about the fact that in less than a month, people with DACA are going to be out of status, which is a federal crime. And they (laughs) – either way – Chuck Schumer and the Senate put together this boring uh, spending deal, sent it to the House. Nancy Pelosi actually urged the House Dems not to vote for the Senate budget deal because it didn't have any doctor protections, and she's been getting a lot of fucking flack from immigration activists for that very thing. But apparently the linchpin was Rand Paul.
3: No one figured the Senate could be a problem until uh, they apparently failed to check in with this next guy, Rand Paul of Kentucky was a very very big problem with this accord namely for busting some caps which were sort of like a backup i guess spending backbone that both parties have abandoned the good senator
2: joins us right now senator thank you for coming thanks for having me Neil. Um, you're against this why well because it spends too much money borrows too much money and actually we're gonna bring back obama era deficits i was elected to combat obama era deficits i remember running for office and saying We're going to have trillion dollar annual deficits. That's what we're going to have this year. So now it's Republicans in charge, busting all the spending caps. The Democrats are complicit. Both parties, the establishment want to spend more money.
0: He's shut down the government by delaying a vote on it because he doesn't like the fact that it increases spending. Because he's the only Republican these days that actually seems to care about small government more. Whereas now, I mean, these small government Republicans are like, we need another $300 billion for the Pentagon right now. And I think they did get $165 billion with the spending deal that passed the morning after Rand Paul shut down the government basically single-handedly. Like the first thing in the morning they had, I, they had reopened. But it just goes to show for me that this – I understand that shutting down the, the government – seems unpopular and could seem like a bad move for the democrats to do seeing as they are already unpopular but it really is the only fucking tool they have right now to get what they want because they don't have control over until they you know win more gains in the midterm elections they're not going to have any power and it just shows how the democrats don't really want to be this universalist political party that i think people on the left and the center want them to be they're just not going to do that they're not going to resent represent the average interests of people they would much rather be a minority corporate party like the republican party they're just less successful at it because they go about it in a more measured and like soft way which isn't good for them like Like I was saying about the difference between left media and right media, left media being soft and right media being hard. You can't be a soft, hard party. So it it just goes to show how they really don't want to win anymore.
1: Yeah. We're we're not done talking about the Democrats. So let's just put a pin in that and move on to this fucking military parade chaos.
0: The real news.
1: You put in the Google Doc, it was inspired, apparently, by France's Bastille Day parades. So, could you maybe describe why that's so absurd?
0: Okay, so, apparently, when Trump went to France last July, and he had, like, that super long handshake with Macron...
1: Right! Oh my god! (laughs) It's a handshake between Donald Trump and Emmanuel Macron, France's president. And Trump is getting notorious for his handshakes. He yanks people in, he catches them off guard, he tries to assert domination. So all these other leaders around the world are getting keen to this and they're trying to combat it by doing their own thing to work against him so he can't assert that dominance right off the bat.
0: He and Melania had dinner with macron and his wife and macron's wife is like trump's age so it looks like trump and macron's wife are taking their two kids out to dinner because melania and macron are much closer in age <laughs> it's a really good picture but apparently he was so inspired by france's bastille day parades that he fucking wa- trump wants the pentagon to put on a vaguely north korea-esque military parade down the streets of washington and there's press in for this. After the end of the, the Gulf War in 91, George H.W. Bush had, like, a $12 million fucking military parade in D.C., which apparently the tanks mess up the streets in D.C., which sucks for the people who <laughs> – like, the 700,000 people who actually live in D.C., <laughs> like, who aren't these fucking, you know, b- bureaucratic goons. But – this is the the thing that about the military parade that's been getting to me because we shouldn't act like it's that unusual that Trump wants to do this military parade. Previous Republicans have wanted to do it. He doesn't have any specific. Obviously, the Gulf War parades celebrated the end of the Gulf War, so there was maybe a reason to but do what
1: it. does this? What is what happened that he wants to celebrate? I I don't think anything happened. I think
0: what it is is that maybe his he's trying to rally his base because his numbers have been sliding a little bit, and definitely I think his vision of foreign policy is appealing to a kind of jingoistic asshole who doesn't think much about how imperialism and interventionism create the problems we're afraid of
1: perhaps we could also look at it as a continuation of his victory rallies. Yeah. This to me, his vision of what this parade is going to be isn't too different from a Trump rally. Yeah. Uh, except it'll have guns and tanks and uniforms.
0: No, I think you're. I think that's actually much closer to what the reason for the stupid parade is. Is that Trump thinks he's like Led Zeppelin or something. He thinks he's a rock star. And also, you remember that picture of him driving the truck where he looks like a like a five year old, like he's having mm-hmm. an amazing time. That's what this is. What he wants. This is what he thinks being president
1: is. Yeah, he wants to um, be the supreme leader, um, and. You know what? He is. Let's just, let's just do it. Let's just, let's just strap him to a fucking tank uh, and give him a big like saber and a big fucking Captain Crunch uniform and let's just do it. Why not?
0: Yeah, I think that we are both converging on the official opinion of the plunge, which is that we are pro military parade. Turn into a public works project, get people paid, get people fucking out and you know in the streets it's obviously bad to have this like a Soviet fucking military parade through the streets of our nation but you know what people need to think about the US military more. The US military gets such an insane budget and it is so omnipresent around the world. The fact that people in the US are like we don't want to see the military running through our streets is such a goddamn privilege. Do you think people I think people in Iraq would have liked the same thing. I think people across the world would like to not have to like duck when they see a US Fucking drone flying over them because they might they might be next to some fucking Al Qaeda agent.
1: Okay, okay, but 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 like like tighten the lens a little bit. Every American county. Wasn't it that every American county got, like, tanks after the fucking wars uh, in the the, the Gulf War and the Yeah, absolutely.
0: All these fucking suburban police departments are buying up this military surplus. Like, the fucking military-industrial complex, which has flourished since Eisenhower named it in the 50s, obviously, is a very large part of everyone's life. My commute, I passed just... Every fucking defense contractor possible, the Raytheons, the General Dynamics, that's what the economy is here, and all these fucking goons in Northern Virginia and D.C. are like, that's not what our country's about. So I'm just going to launch into some of these like ridiculous attacks, bipartisan attacks on the military parade from these goon- politicians who would prefer to act like we have never committed atrocity abroad or that the u.s military doesn't kill people which is its primary fucking objective and the one thing it really does around the world and it so adam smith of washington state who is the top democrat on the house armed services committee noted that past military parades in the u.s make marked major national achievements such as the gulf war the end of world war ii But he went on to say, a military parade like this, one that is unduly focused on a single person, is what authoritarian regimes do, not democracies. As if the U.S. is a democracy. Give me a
1: fucking break. Like, in that statement, I think we could point out more than one contradiction, but why don't we just keep rolling through, because... I don't think any of these guys deserve more than, like, a couple of seconds of our time individually.
0: And I've got a big one for the end, so let's just keep rolling through these dipshit politicians. Senator John Kennedy, a Republican from Louisiana, said, The next stupid thing. I think confidence is silent and insecurity is loud. America is the most powerful country in all of human history. You don't need to show it off.
1: Ugh. Gross (laughs) Gross. <laughs> Have you seen up. how many
0: people we killed last year? The numbers speak for themselves.
1: All we do is show it off, like we this... fucking
0: fly fighter jets over football games in this country. Like, get the fuck
1: out! Yeah, you can't go to a sporting event without two hundred military icons being shoved in your face. Retired Navy Admiral James
0: Stavridis similarly called on the president to cancel the plans. He said. Let's leave the missiles in the silos where they belong and be quietly confident in the lethality, professionalism, and integrity of our military. No parade necessary.
1: Yeah, keep what, keep uh, all of the, uh, you know, uh, deaths and (laughs) and literally lethality um, out of the public eye. Absolutely. Absolutely. may continue to do it. Um... Without anyone realizing how ridiculous it is, that's what I'm saying. Is like if, if you were
0: faced of haste with a fucking tomahawk missile, and you imagine what it would be like to have that shit dropped on you out of nowhere, to be just a civilian and see that that lethality aimed at you, I think it would change the way you think about the military, especially in DC. But that fucking Stavridis continued. He said, on a smaller scale, local parades make a lot more sense. <laughs> Connect to the communities and help recruiting. Or here's an idea Instead of the big parade How about a cookout Honoring the troops With ribeye steaks Barbecue chicken Ribs and cold beer Civilians buying Cooking up And cleaning afterwards That's what we do anyway
1: I mean I'm all for Taking care of the veterans And like Conditions are awful They didn't say veterans
0: They said troops. The veterans are the. The the veterans aren't involved in this at all. There's a shitload of homeless veterans who are gonna be on the street in D.C. watching this fucked up military parade that is supposedly in their honor as their benefits are denied. Granted, that Trump has expanded some spending to the V.A., but this is just a circle jerk for these fucking bureaucrats. I mean, to just be like, oh, we are so moderate and so smart and measured and perfect so it's really weird that trump would clash with that
1: all right why don't you get into the worst of them all uh this guy uh actually was doing the media rounds last year because he he uh, had a book so he came through my office and um who is he uh robert o uh, rob o'neill he is the navy seal from seal team six who claims to have shot osama bin laden yeah and You know, he did Howard Stern, you know, he was, he got all all this fucking, like, praise and, like, you know, the classic, like, uh, fucking cliches, like, oh, he's never gonna have to buy a beer again, or he's gonna have no trouble getting laid. What did he have to say, Sam?
0: Well, he took to the preeminent political medium of our times, the Twitter, to say, a military parade is third world bullshit we prepare we deter we fight stop this conversation
1: let's just talk a little bit about third world bs i think it's very very illuminating to read matthew cole's january 2017 piece in the intercept i haven't looked at this since it came out it details specifically The Crimes of SEAL Team 6. Sam, could you maybe detail what sort of third world BS Rob O'Neill was involved with? Specifically, I believe it's safe to say we could call this an armed death squad. uh, Yeah. That operated outside of any real...
0: It was covered up because of their heroic status for literally killing Osama Bin Laden, who was a bad dude for sure. But... The the one that stuck with me the most is that they kind of had this Call of Duty style glee to the patterns of like killings, mutilations, and other atrocities that they perpetrated. They called them revenge ops. The one that stuck with me the most was that they said that they would go to corpses and they called it, they called this practice canoeing, what I'm about to describe. They would aim their gun directly at the back of a corpse's skull in order to shoot such that the skull would split cleanly in two pieces so it looked like a canoe.
1: Disgusting fucking sadistic pieces of shit. I'm sorry, like I'm sorry if you're like pro military and you're listening to this. Like I, I wouldn't say we're like anti and any sort of like we're pro you people. Know, we don't hate the troops on this show don't we get us with the wrong of certain yeah it's similar with like
0: you know you don't want to alienate a- alienate too many people but there's no way the, to defend i, the I think we can
1: all agree that like we don't need to celebrate a bunch of fucking sadists just because they
0: they achieved a political goal of our country if we're going to put it bluntly either way we're not going to win too many points with the pro military crowd having said yeah, that, i don't
1: think they listen to this show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There're probably a few, but like I think when it comes down to it, the actions of the individual and the actions of the organization are tied to one another in very complicated ways. I'm not saying that there aren't good people in the military at all, but I think that it is hard to make good decisions in that apparatus, and the crimes of seal team six we we put them in the show notes, we probably should move on from this fucking stuff the thing i wanted to say about the first part of it the third world bullshit is that the u.s sponsors these fucking you know the contras in latin america the u.s trained al-qaeda the u.s does that third world bullshit we are about that third world bullshit about fucking sending a shitload we parade through our military through the streets of plenty of other countries we What empowered the right wing government in northern Sumatra to kill two million communists recently, which was documented in the act of killing where those people who committed that mass murder are treated like fucking rock stars in society today. It's really obscene. And the idea that Trump wanting to have a military parade in the U.S. is this indicative of how he's like a Latin American dictator or Kim Jong-un or something is so fucking tawdry and stupid. Trump didn't build the U S military that all, all that shit was there. Like they said, the missiles were sitting in the silos. It's just that people don't like to think about it and we export our violence. We export our wars and we ignore the fucking battles we have in our country where police march through the streets and, you know, armed fucking, like APCs and shit. So fuck that. Fuck Rob O'Neill and his tweet about third world bullshit. And fuck anyone who is siding with these extreme murderous military types and acting like they are principled or justified in opposing this military parade. It's bullshit.
1: And if you're interested at all in a leftist veterans perspective, on things going on i highly recommend you follow at army strang on twitter he is a really smart dude he's a vet then he hosts a really great podcast called uh what a hell of a way to die it's really like valuable stuff i think anyone would benefit from uh hearing what uh at army strang has to say
0: Yeah, and any, like, military types, one of my best friends is a Marine. I love chatting with people, so hit me up if you think I'm being unfair towards the military at all.
1: So I said we'd get back to the Democrats, and uh, here we are. This week, this healthcare over politics debate that emerged from the announcement of the United States of Care a nonpartisan nonprofit formed by Obama official Andy Slavitt. And if you're not following at Krulge, C R U L G E, I think it is, uh, yeah. Tim Faust on Twitter, he's an activist for single payer and he's so good at articulating exactly why single payer and health justice are important. He really articulates a lucid like path towards achieving it, and he wrote a piece in Splinter News, uh, the very bad politics of putting healthcare over politics,
0: and this is specifically tied to that United States of Care organization that was founded, which I think John Favreau, the the po- uh, nauseating Pod Save America dude, who was a speech raider for. Obama signed onto it, even though he says that he supports single payer, but the United States of care doesn't overtly support single payer. And a lot of like industry executives and like former reps work for the organization. So it's difficult to say that it would be an organization that is in opposition to the for-profit healthcare industry in this country.
1: Right. And Faust, he really highlights here that you're either with for-profit health insurance or you're not, right? Like, you can't just plant yourself in the middle and claim, like, I'm going to take the non-political stance because that is political.
0: Yeah, it's like if you're into laissez-faire politics, you say that you're not being political, but that in itself is a political action. If you say you're into laissez-faire politics, you're tacitly agreeing that capital should be more important than... You know political will or there's it's a loaded statement
1: it's not as neutral as you'd say which is one of the essential critiques of neoliberalism right I really like this line in the Faust article um, United States of care envisions a world in which healthcare is fought for and won by technocrats a small corpus of the benevolent and powerful. These are the same people who have, through pre-concession, lost any battle they focus-grouped their way into meekly accepting over the past 30 years. So, <laughs> I think beyond the inherent, like, lameness of pretending that a single-payer uh, movement could work in conjunction with the United States of Care, it, it yeah. is true that, like, it is run by the contractor class of, like, Democrats and shit who just, like, Failed so much in the last few decades.
0: Right. They're the ones who left us with Obamacare, which is an improvement, but the most meager imaginable improvement, honestly. I think that Tim Faust is very good at articulating that you can't make these marginal, incremental improvements to our healthcare system because our healthcare system is totally unique in the industrialized world. No other country has this privatized, like, HMO based system obviously countries like the UK the National Health Service or National Health Service has been under attack from the Conservatives recently so it has been seeing more problems and they are trying to I think turn it into a system that's more like ours but that just kind of goes to show what you give up when you do that. And all these arguments that single-payer is like this fucking pie-in-the-sky dream, it's total bullshit. If, if anything, our system is more politically naive. Single-payer is a realistic measure that works in other countries. Our fucking shit is just like some crackpot's bullshit that Nixon and a bunch of goons dreamed up in like the fucking 70s that has led us to this point. Obviously, it's more complicated than that. But I think he's good at articulating that you need to reimagine the health it's not like you can just improve a private system you have to decommodify the idea of medicine so that you decommodify the idea of keeping people healthy and alive and making sure that, that their lives are good and that they are free to live them you know free from any kind of fucking ailment
1: tim puts them all all these things in a list uh, together and you gotta just like look at all these together right i'm just gonna read down this list uh, the multi-payer for-profit model of private insurance has had 50 years to address all of the questions addressed in this article, and the results speak for themselves. America spends more than any other country on health care, almost twice as much per capita on the next biggest spender, while getting abysmal population health results. This spending will only grow. We're projected to spend $4.3 trillion a year in a decade, 75% of our spending goes to chronic conditions that are preventable, but nobody paying the bills really has the incentives to prevent them. Quality of care stagnates for the most vulnerable among us. 58 million Americans live without access to basic primary care, and more than 28 million uh, people are still uninsured. So, like he said, the for-profit system has no incentive to um change any of that they have no incentive to innovate that element of it because all they are concerned with is profit it's not about like human life so uh, you know when john favreau talks about well you can't just eliminate everyone who's not ardently pro single payer it's like yeah but you don't have to work with them
0: you, 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 can, you don't have to eliminate them, but you can beat them. You can just win in politics. You can overwhelm them with the majority of the country who wants single-payer and doesn't want to go bankrupt because of medical bills. It's not rocket science. And
1: every fucking popular Democrat, even fucking Booker, Gillibrand, they all support yeah. single-payer. So it's like, let's, let's move on. It's, it's ridiculous. I really recommend... Uh, tim faust uh and his work Uh, i'm sure there's a bunch of his lectures on youtube uh or you know his talks um we also i think this ties into it uh wanted to get into like how these ex-obama officials won't fucking go away and the pod save america podcast team is headed to hbo for a series of specials in advance of the midterms and god fucking damn it like it's so funny that these guys just keep like f- falling upwards and like it, you know they really really I think are their success is very illuminating because they are the worst fucking broadcasters. I cannot mm-hmm. stand their their ad reads. They last like 20 minutes of them like laughing to themselves about seat geek and good god they're fucking fawning Uh, interviews of Hillary Clinton uh, when her book came out and listen like I follow these guys on Twitter I don't like shield myself from their perspectives but the fact that they just keep being handed so much money and they all came from money they're just a fucking like group of lanyards and there is this cult around these guys that I feel Trump's America has kind of really benefited them and you could certainly say the same thing about some of the lefty podcasts that we like that trump's america has uh elevated them maybe but like the pods of america guys it just feels so like grating like what's your what's your beef with these folks
0: john favreau is dan egan from veep you know (laughs) he's what dan egan wants to be (laughs) I think Veep is genius and it shows how these people are all kind of like self-aggrandizing. The reason that Jon Favreau says he's for single payer, but doesn't actually want any policy that would deliver that is because he doesn't actually care about if single payers passed or not. His heart's not in his politics. He just is in it for the fucking comms work. He's in it for the fucking job and the resume bill. It's They're just social climbers, and they are so nauseating. Fun fact, uh, John
1: Lovett was a writer on the newsroom.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's someone tweeted that they dream in, like, Aaron Sorkin sequences. It's exactly true with these fuckos.
1: So I feel like if people don't know who these guys are, that... You're better off. You're better off, but we just can't stand that these Obama bros just continue to, like, just fall upward, it seems. Yeah, into just en- endless
0: success. I think, Dan, you had a good tweet that was like, uh, HBO picks up the worst podcast, because <laughs> they also picked up that uh, that Two Dope Queens, which, like... <laughs> no, I don't
1: know. T- I know maybe, like, it's not, it's not made for, like, white men, that program, but, like... <laughs> oh. It's so fucking creepy. I'm sorry. It's so creepy.
0: The one thing that we can probably say non-problematically about that show is uh, (laughs) I mentioned to Rachie that (laughs) I I was like, did you see that two dope queens went on the Stephen Colbert show and called him a white zaddy? And she cut me off and was just like had her hand like in front of me and like her eyes closed and was like, do not mention that show around me.
1: Yeah, actually, scratch that. I bet if you go to one of their shows, the entire audience is fucking, like, just white, like, fucking hipsters. Probably the same fucking audience as Pod Same America. And that's all well and good. You know, it's funny. And you, you tweet about this, and the fucking, uh... I, I get from uh, a dude from college. I don't want to use his name. Uh, he clapped right back at me. It's like you can't even criticize these fucking people. He, and he... His argument essentially boiled down to, well, because Pod Save America can sell out shows that they do live and they sell a lot of t-shirts and they get a lot of downloads, that somehow the center left is winning the political messaging war and that by making fun of them and not engaging with them, that I... um ignorant and stupid it's like dude like, how far up your own like ass are you
0: well i think you're totally right we'll wrap up this pod save america talk that argument that the guy used that because they are financially successful they must be correct or winning reminded me of that mr show sketch where it's like I have made a lot of money. Your money is what defines you. I'm a better person because of my money. (laughs) We (laughs) can maybe put the audio from
1: that in here. Hell yeah.
3: Yeah, that's right. So what do you think? Eh, wrong. Whatever you were going to say doesn't matter because I make more money than you. That's if you're 80% of the public, so I'm right. Each year, Value Magazine ranks the 500 best people in the history of the world. Did you know that according to Worthington's Law, The opera singer who called himself the Great Caruso was nowhere near as great as Sammy Hagar, the Red Rocker. So shut up, Caruso. Hey, who's better than St. Francis of Assisi? Well, how about uh, Daryl Strawberry? See you later, St. Franny, you schmuck. Hey, guess who's better than Van Gogh? Well, let's see. After adjusting for inflation, almost everybody, he made nothing.
1: All right, so... We're going to dive into pop culture with two things this week. This was one of the greatest interviews I've read in a long time. I think a lot of people were talking about this. It is the Vulture interview with Quincy Jones. Yeah. (laughs) So just real quick, let's just pull some, like, choice stuff from it. There was a claim in there that... What's something you wish you didn't know, uh, the interviewer asks Jones, and he says, who killed Kennedy? Who did it? Chicago mobster San Giacana. The connection was there between Sinatra and the mafia and Kennedy. Joe Kennedy, he was a bad man. He came to Frank to have him talk junk about helping getting votes. So, so he-
0: I love this interview because Quincy Jones always, to me, was kind of like the inf- insanely successful Michael Jackson genius but also... He made like, Thriller. He,
1: he's he's he did. immense.
0: Oh, yeah. He, he, he has, like, 28 Grammys. He's, he's insanely successful, insanely wealthy, insanely influential. But he also was always... He always seemed kind of quiet to me. He kind of, like, cool, old, fucking... Cool, he is 84 old years he's old, like,
1: currently. Yeah,
0: he's old, older, but he's just, like, a musical genius. He's still basically relevant, because people are still copying Michael Jackson endlessly. We already talked about fucking Justin Timberlake on this show. But... In this interview, he's just going off. He's talking crazy about everybody.
1: What was your first impression of the Beatles? They were the worst musicians in the world. They were no playing motherfuckers. Paul was the worst bass player I ever heard. And Ringo, don't even talk about it. I remember once we were in the studio with George Martin and Ringo had taken three hours for a four-bar thing he was supposed to fix in a song. He couldn't get it. We said, mate, (laughs) why don't you get some lager and lime, some shepherd's (laughs) pie, and take an hour and a half and relax a little bit. So he did. And we called Ronnie Verrill, a jazz drummer. Ronnie came in for 15 minutes and tore it up. Ringo comes back. (laughs) And says, George, can you play it back for me one more time? So George did. And Ringo says, that didn't sound so bad. And I said, yeah, motherfucker, because it ain't you. Great guy, though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That's horrible.
1: Oh, I always feel bad for Ringo. Once um,
0: someone, an interviewer, asked John Lennon if he thought that Ringo Starr was one of the greatest drummers of all time, which I do think he is, stylistically at least, one of the great drummers. But still... The, this interviewer asked him, and John Lennon said, he's not even the
1: best drummer in the Beatles. I got oh, one. I got and then one. The, ba- the whopper was that he <laughs> uh, dated Ivanka Trump uh, 12 years ago.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. Trump must hate him. Okay. Also, the age differential is very strong there. How old is she? <laughs> is she like 40 years younger?
1: <laughs> She's a fine motherfucker she had the most beautiful legs i ever saw in my life wrong father though
0: (laughs) it's actually okay for him to talk about her because he's not her dad he's just older than her dad
3: (laughs) dude
1: (laughs) and then he talked about like bono and how he's like a good friend and then the interviewer is like is you two still making good music and then it's like parentheses shakes head (laughs) <laughs> uh there's there was i love
0: him talking about who he thinks are good musicians because quincy jones would fucking know
1: uh he well, says, dude, it's also like artists never shit on other artists it's like not there's this yeah, code true. but it is like now that he's like you know almost 85 years old it's like he doesn't give a fuck and it's just incredible
0: <laughs> yeah nowadays even like everyone's just like oh yeah i mean drake you know he's one of the legends in the game <laughs> i don't know anyway One of the ones that he had that I cracked up at was, they asked him, were there any rock musicians you thought were good? Quincy Jones says, I used to like Clapton's band. What were they called? The interviewer answers, Cream, Quincy Jones. Yeah, they could play, but you know who sings and plays just like Hendrix? Who? Paul Allen. The interviewer says, stop it. The Microsoft guy? Quincy Jones yeah man I went on a trip in his yacht and he had David Crosby Joe Walsh Sean Lennon all those crazy motherfuckers then in the last two days Stevie Wonder came on with his band and made Paul come up and play with him
1: he's good man and like honestly if Quincy Jones is saying that you have seen that he literally just said like you two sucks now like he's totally serious and I believe him
0: I I also agree with like 90% of his opinions I don't think Paul's a bad bass player but i could also see why like quincy jones who works with like these legendary session musicians who can play the fucking paint off of a wall would think that, like the beatles who
1: they were like 20 years old like they were young yeah they <laughs> were
0: kids and they, they don't play they're not like professional set studio like session musicians they're not like legends like the people that quincy jones was like already working with at that time but it is funny to hear him dunk on them
1: So, why don't we move on? If you haven't read the Quincy Jones piece, please do. It's so funny. We put it in the show notes. Um, Sam and I both watched The Cloverfield Paradox, and we both did not hate it. I loved it. I have to say, when I watched it, it was right after the Super Bowl. The Cloverfield Paradox uh, was announced during the Super Bowl. The way they make these movies is... Uh, it seems to be that J.J. J. Abrams revives uh, scripts that couldn't get made that he likes and he ties them into the Cloverfield universe, which the first Cloverfield movie came out in 2008 and 10 Cloverfield Lane came out uh, about a year, year and a half ago. And th- The original Cloverfield movie is like this found footage thing. It's it, it, At the time, it was kind of inventive. I don't think it holds up very well personally. What do you think?
0: I haven't watched it since I saw it originally, but I did like it when it came out. I definitely into sci-fi horror and monster movies. I think that all of these Cloverfield movies have been kind of a JJ Abrams doing a spin on the idea of a conventional monster movie and trying to get different things out of it. The first one was more of a straight ahead monster movie with creature features on found footage Uh, Pretty well executed, kind of nauseating to watch in a movie theater because they're running a lot, but it's the same with any found footage. When it comes to 10 Cloverfield Lane, this was more of like a psychological horror, I think, where John Goodman ostensibly rescues or maybe kidnaps a woman during what seems like some sort of apocalyptic event. And then the most recent one, this Cloverfield Paradox, which dropped after the Super Bowl on Netflix – is a dystopian future, it seems, where we are running out of energy or resources and we are trying to invent a way to have endless energy, this, you know, particle accelerator sci-fi nonsense that is being attempted through experiments conducted in Earth's orbit.
1: So I don't want to go into the plot or the characters too much because I think you got to go in cold or it's going to be kind of boring for you. Um, Yeah. But I will say I really enjoyed the body horror, and yep. I have to say I I watched it right after the Super Bowl, so I didn't get any of this universal um, hatred until like the next day or two. So it was interesting to like something that was universally fucking hated. This movie was hand sam let's talk about one or two of our biggest like the glaring errors in this movie the b plot was should not have been there it was terrible there was no reason to be back on earth
0: oh yeah well yeah all they were doing was setting up the i guess something at the end but Mm. i i didn't hate the performance of the character being on the b plot definitely was kind of useless i think i also tend to when it when you cross over into this high concept like sci-fi and that sort of work i tend to have more willing suspensive disbelief and i'm willing to let them take more i guess liberties with it it didn't bring anything to the film though for sure
1: i will also say that like i do think it leaned a little bit more into fantasy than sci-fi this time and i don't know if that's like my my ideal like way to take these these movies but Oh, wow. This has a 16% on Rotten Tomatoes cheese. Yeah. That's horrible. I, there's like a, only a dozen positive reviews. Okay. Bright was so much worse than this. No, like Bright not was even like utterly comparison. atrocious. to I, 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 It was a bad
0: watch. I was howling the whole time I was watching it. I was like yelling out in pain. As opposed to Cloverfield Paradox, I really kind of enjoyed on I, I it was it's goofy and it's dumb but it's fun. There's it actually borrows elements from a lot of really cool sci-fi I mean yeah, like there I was really so liked. many
1: uh so much alien in there.
0: It also reminded me of a little bit of Contact. It reminded me of Pandorum. It reminded me of Event Horizon, which is a classic and I think it brought these, as far as high-concept sci-fi these days, let's talk about some other releases recently that were way worse. Like Arrival was just fucking Garbage. boring. There was another space movie that I mentioned before. Oh, you well, I we actually liked
1: this movie, but you said Interstellar. Oh, yeah, I, hate, I
0: didn't like Interstellar at all compared to, I liked, Cloverfield paradox a lot more than Interstellar.
1: <laughs> That's funny. Didn't Arrival get like a Best Picture nomination last year? Oh so yeah, I,
0: people loved it. It was a critical darling. Yeah, and it, nothing
1: I, happens. I, I in thought that it movie. was so, so boring. boring. I, I'm thinking of Gravity. I fucking hated. I heard The Martian was boring. I didn't even see Gravity or The Martian. I watched The Martian on a plane, and it is bad. There's
0: also one that came out that I was actually interested in recently with I think Jake Gyllenhaal. The it was called Life, maybe. I want to say that. And it came out, and it was like a sci- sort of an alien spoof. But in general, I think, yeah, it's called Life. It came out in 2017. In general, I'm disappointed with sci fi that is not utopian in its endeavor. I think Star Trek is the best example of. You know that's what we're working towards. I think. I think that's space communism. They have eliminated material need and want, and they have a perfect society where they there's conflict, but they go out on a peaceful mission and they try to treat everything in a peaceful way and spread just good stuff around the world, around the universe. And lately, we've been just inundated with dystopian sci-fi, and I did like like specifically like zombie
1: zombie stuff.
0: Yeah, that has taken
1: over. Yeah
0: and i think it was it's nice that even though cloverfield paradox is not as utopian as star trek it was still like this it was imagining a society in which people are striving to something we can't really comprehend now that will deliver us from our human condition and bring us into a period where we don't have to have war or material want or need so i
1: did like that aspect as well i'm going to put in the show notes the fucking like three positive reviews uh in rotten tomatoes so you can see what the minority thinks
0: yeah the minority being this the the, U- the sun in U- the uk and then like uh i, mean, I haven't heard like any S- of
1: these i've heard okay cinema blend uh the nerdist Screen rant, Polygon. I think is that's the like Gawker. Couple one, right? Spanish
0: language pu- publications liked it. Paste magazine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Philip Vasquez from Cinema Crazed, which I've never heard of, but his avatar is just a hilarious caricature of the Big Lebowski,
1: <laughs> like the dude. <laughs> yeah. I will also say, like, I genuinely enjoyed the acting performances in this movie. I can't remember the lead uh, female's name. Uh, Also, there was uh, David, but she was great. And then there was David O'Yellow. There was Chris O'Dowd, Daniel Bruhl. Yeah, those are the ones I know. But everyone in the movie, I think, did a pretty good job.
0: Yeah, don't believe the hate. Go see. Don't go see it. Just turn on Netflix if you have it. And watch The Cloverfield Paradox if you're into these kind of, like, high-concept sci-fi, you know, horror movies i think it's a good installment in that genre
1: all right so finally story time this week sam and i are going to los angeles with rachie next week and we are gonna tell you all about our airbnb struggles this is the fucking garbage organization but we're using them because it's cheap But it has been a slog. So real quick, Sam, why don't you give the people the rundown?
0: So let me preface this by saying that, like, Airbnb is kind of a vicious corporation that has definitely done more wrong to people than just fuck us over on our vacation. (laughs) Like, in in New Orleans, people are are getting evicted by their landlords because their landlords want to use their apartments as short-term rentals to generate a lot more money. It does accelerate gentrification and it is evidence of the neoliberal decline of the you know the tech, the tech world these days. But Either way, with this fucking Airbnb, we've we booked this shit a month ago. We booked uh just a place for three people near the beach in LA for a reasonable price, like you're supposed to be able to do on Airbnb. But the thing with Airbnb is that it's not like a hotel. It gives you any kind of guarantee or anything. And this fucko, this has actually happened to me a bunch of times. But this person fucking canceled oh the other day, it was a, a week before we're supposed. Hey, no, to no, show but up.
1: before she canceled, she tried to shake us down for an extra three hundred bucks.
0: Yes, she raised the price by $300 and she had a sob story about how she just had hosts or had guests that were so bad that they made her change her policy. So I instantly googled this cuz we had already paid by this point and it turns out that for all the Airbnb people out there, if your host ever tells you to raise what they need to raise the price for any reason, you should just instantly go to Airbnb support cuz they will usually tell you not to agree. I sent a screenshot of what the lady said to me to Airbnb support and they instantly were just like don't pay her and don't cancel because if you cancel they also they dock you money and the lady said if you want to cancel go ahead and I said look you need to cancel it because so I came back to the lady and I said I just spoke with Airbnb support they said what you're doing is against the policy and I... If you – I'm not paying any more. If you want to cancel a reservation, it's on you. And so she canceled it. And, I mean, we just – we had to wait for the refund to come in. We had to book it. When I was booking it yesterday morning, the average cost of a single room in Los Angeles was going for $760 a night. So I had to argue with them. I made them give me a shitload of, like, coupons and vouchers, and I found a place that – does it wasn't it's not what we wanted initially it's not by the beach it's a nice place in like east los angeles but it's just it's annoying to have to fucking wrestle with this i'm more annoyed that i had to spend the work arguing with support to get the refund to get the you know the fucking coupons and vouchers so that we could pay for a new rental that was by definition more expensive because you couldn't book it in advance and it's annoying when i hear like i guess older people who just think like oh wow it's so new and innovative and funny it's like okay but it also comes at a cost and it's a cheap fucking alternative
1: yeah and it's an example of how like the gig economy and these upstart silicon valley even like the most successful ones they're just so fucking crappy like it's all just such a fucking grift Man, Um, even
0: their fucking website was a nightmare to use. It was so annoying having to coordinate it using their shitty platform.
1: And just as we disagree with the business practices of so many fucking companies that we unfortunately are forced to use in this capitalist uh, hell, um, Airbnb sucks and fuck them.
0: Yeah. Well, once we set up the Patreon, people can donate so we don't have to use Airbnbs. We can stay in, like, a normal fucking hotel. There are definitely cities like New Orleans where you should not get an Airbnb. People get Airbnbs, like, in the hood all the time or, like, very kind of – New Orleans is a dangerous city with a lot of – a high rate of murder, and people get Airbnbs in places neighborhoods they don't know, and it's it, – the company is pretty unscrupulous, and I think at, sometimes it's just better to go with a normal hotel. Unfortunately – the average cost of a hotel per night in in LA was like as much as the Airbnb. So you, you know you're kind of screwed either way. But Dan, have you ever have you ever successfully booked an Airbnb? No, this is my first attempt. This is your first attempt. I was wondering because um, I've actually previously tried to book Airbnbs in Virginia, and they've always suspiciously cancelled recently. Um, <laughs> oh, do you think that they're fake? <laughs> I don't know if they're fake or... If... Bots! The Russians! The Russians! <laughs> oh, oh, I see where you're going. I didn't realize I was on a podcast with Eric Garland. <laughs> yes. No, honestly, like, my, I mean, some people might think this is also conspiracy theory-ish, but I think what it was is, like, I log in through my Facebook, and my Facebook profile has... profile picture has my girlfriend, who is black in it, and honestly, like, it's not out of the realm. I've heard so many people talk about discrimination that they looked at my picture and were like, "Oh wait, never mind," and canceled even if they if they had originally approved it. And that and then I was thinking as I booked the new ones, I was I felt terrible, but I was even like to my old girlfriend. I progressive said, progressive
1: like, Hollywood,
2: man.
0: <laughs> even in progressive Hollywood, PC liberal Jewville, no I, man, that's I, totally
1: fucking legitimate of a thing." I, to I literally believe.
0: changed my picture. Yeah, I had to put up like. I just put up a picture that's like me with like very short hair, and I think I'm like Anglo-Saxon. Saxon. Yeah, very like generic white like tourist fucking picture. Like, and I, I was so sick at myself. I asked her about it, and she she had a great response. She was just like, "Obviously, you should do that. Do that right now. Go change your picture and get me out of the picture." But I felt terrible, and it's it's annoying to have to like sell ourselves to like this fucking, you
1: know, corporation that we disagree with so strongly just because it's, like, the cheapest option. I just don't understand why you would go through the process of setting up the booking if you weren't going to just take anyone, you know? (laughs) Like, doesn't it take a lot to... Like, like, I don't want to be on that fucking website.
0: It's not like Uber or something where... Uber, I don't think you spend time browsing, like, your Uber driver or anything. It's, like, a different setup. But I definitely had one time where I... the, The person canceled after we had booked it, and she said, oh, I'm sorry, I I didn't mean to have this listing up. I didn't, it's not supposed to be there. But I checked back, like, a few days, and then even, like, a week after, just because I thought I was going crazy. But it was still up. I don't know if she accidentally left it up, but to me it was sort of like, uh, oh, uh, this listing's not for you. It's not meant, I didn't mean for you to see this. And I was just like, okay, fuck off. I don't know. I, I sensed some fucking racist intent.
1: So, like I said, uh, the boys are in sunny Los Angeles next week, and probably won't be doing a podcast uh, till we get back uh, to the East Coast. And yeah, what do you have to say to close out here, Sammy boy?
0: I think we nailed it this time around. But I think we think we're, we're going to be spending a lot more time on story times and pop culture, which we've been neglecting a little bit lately because. Politics has been so fucking (laughs) bad shit lately. Yeah,
1: you know, we don't want to inundate you with all the dry politics in the world because, quite honestly, I feel like you just end up in this hole where you're trying to, like, logic out the, like, illogical sometimes.
0: Yeah, and it is hard to be funny about a lot of the shit that's going on, but we do feel like it's good to give the veggies and try to, you know, educate ourselves about the shady dealings that's going on in our world.
1: So thank you for listening. This is the fucking plunge. And if you haven't already, please uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, that really helps get us out there, apparently.
0: Yeah, and follow us on Twitter and you know, comment on shit that we post and tell us why we are wrong and stupid and get into it. Come at me
1: at plunge underscore podcast on twitter for the show at spaventacular for me and for sam it's at wagstank and we'll see you next week
2: and you are cursed to hell i'm done i gotta get out of here i'm pissed off now robert Wanick, you can make some closing comments i'll give you the last two minutes we're gonna end transmission make sure the guys got your address i can send you those videos he can resist tyranny i salute you